out the word of the Lord to Nehemiah. When we read uh, chapter 1. We'll read verses 3 to 11. And then we're going to go to chapter 2. And read verses 17 through 20. Today I want to talk a couple of minutes about building the wall. In the next couple of weeks we're going to uh, discuss that. Uh, even uh, as Nate and Brenda were sharing the importance of building the wall of family. It's, it's not going to happen automatically. See, if you leave a field to itself, um, eventually you, you'll grow weeds. You won't grow beautiful roses and lilies. You'll grow weeds. That's the natural state if, lend, if le left untended. Whereas if you tend your ground, then you have the beautiful flowers and the beautiful trees and it becomes a beautiful symbiotic relationship. So um, in, in a local church, part of our, our call, our mandate uh, as the body of Christ, um, actually many of us have to relearn what church is all about because we have a wrong notion of what church is. But when, when we do church the right way, families will be healed. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the three generations plus, you know, father, son, grandfather, so to speak, the, the three generations, because God always dealt with three generations when he dealt with man. He, he limited it to three generations because, you know, God is the God of all the generations. But he would appear to his, his men of old and he'd say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in reality, there was many more generations he was involved in, even at the same time. Um, God thought about something in the 1700s that made you come forth. You know, he had your parents get together. He had uh, your grandparents get together. And he was thinking about you all along. And while he was thinking about you, he was thinking about your grandchildren. See, that's how he thinks. He's the best chess player around. Amen. Yeah, we might have some Karpovs around here, but let me tell you, you don't come close to the way God organizes Amen. So we have to start thinking the way God thinks. And a, a church that's alive, you'll see true and active ministry to children, to grandchildren. Yes. You'll see ministry to family. You, you, you'll see uh, ministry to each other. Um, you, we, we'll, we'll learn uh, to go against our base nature of hating each other, of only wanting to be tribal or, or stick to one culture. And we'll start uh, understanding and honoring different cultures around us and even celebrate them. Um, uh, Bishop Kaufman years ago said something that always stuck with me because I always had heard it this way. I always heard that New York is a great melting pot. Anybody ever heard that? Yes. And a melting pot, anything you throw at it becomes a big ooze of the same thing. But that's not true. I can go from city to, I mean, from community to community and I will see different cultures, smell different foods, right? Uh, I'll hear different accents. You go downtown in Lexington, uh, you can be a... a, a little Chinese community, then you could be in an Indian community, then you could be in an Afghan community. It's amazing. And the foods and the stores to complement it too. Yeah. So we're not a melting pot. We're a salad bowl. Amen. And, and what ends up happening is the tomato will always remain the tomato. Yes. And the lettuce will always remain the tomato. A tomato. Lettuce will remain lettuce. But what will happen is, is the true lettuce lover and the tomato lover and the salad lover will appreciate the whole thing. Yes. You know, yes. take a little bit of the tomato and a little bit of the onion and just, mm, and now this bite's going to be a little different. Yes. Anybody? <laughs> Any salad lovers in here? Yes. <laughs> that, but that's what New York really is. And that's how the church should be. Because Jesus never left it uh, to, to one nation, per se. 
he, he told Abraham, you, all nations are going to be blessed in you. All, all. Say with me, all. all. So that means that the Chinese is there, the African is there, the Central and South American are there, you know, the, 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 the uh, people from Iran, Iraq, from, oh my God, the sketch people, Russian, every person in the world has this privilege. Amen. Now, I understand also that there is a tendency to want to do it a certain way because this is my, the way my culture is. But when I can understand that if my brother likes to worship a different way, let's say you know, he likes a different song. Like for example, I have a constant clash many times with Natalie. Minister Natalie, she loves a certain type of, wor type of worship. So I tell her from time to time, bring in some classic hymns, will you? I want me some classic hymns. I, I want from time to time, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. You just, I got some of you right here, right? I, you know, I love that. I mean, I can do this too, you know, you know, but I just love that. You know, hallelujah. So she does that. I appreciate her for doing Not enough, not enough, not enough. But she does that, praise God. But no, I, I, what, I'm, what I'm understanding is that because of that, because of that dynamic and because of our communities, we can't just have one service. That's right. Eventually, we're going to have to have several. And some people are going to come in and they're going to see the youth doing that thing. And go, well, that's not the way God intended. No, well, you know, come on, come on. Let's, let's relax a little. Because, see, before you, they used to do it a different way. They used to, in the 1800s and 1700s, they used to sing, I love it, the Lord. And I lift thine hand, mine hands. It's different. And there's some preachers that will not preach unless it's the old King James Bible. With the these and the thous. Right? And when they prophesy, they'll prophesy, Yea, the Lord your God saith unto thee. Meanwhile, I say, what in the world are you talking about? I can't understand you. You know what I'm saying? So the words are the same. But the culture shifts from time to time, from, I guess, from generation to generation. But at the same time, the church needs to understand we're living in various generations at the same time. Yes. So we can't be insular yes. and just say, okay, it's only this way, only this way, only this way. And, and women can only dress this way, this way, this way. What does modestly mean? You understand? So we have to discuss that. We have to pray about that. Get God's sensing on that as, as, as generations transition. Amen? Amen. Praise Amen. God. Praise God. That's, that's important. So let us build the wall. Let's build the wall together. Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verse 3 through 11. And they said unto me, the remnant that left of the captivity there in the province are, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. And I mourned certain days, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. 
So he didn't he even included himself in this thing. So he repented for all of his people and he included himself in it. And meanwhile, this Nehemiah was a righteous man. But he understood the importance of prayer and how you need to identify with your people sometimes and, and, and pray on their behalf. And even help to repent and, and, and just stand in the gap for them. And he said, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. And we have not kept thy commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments with, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence, and I will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people. Whom thou hast redeemed with, by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. You may be seated in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you would preach and teach through me, think through my mind, speak through my lips. Help me, Lord God, that, that uh, your desire might come forth, your word might come forth. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This was Nehemiah praying after he had heard that the Jerusalem that he loved uh, was destroyed. The walls had been burnt uh, and, and torn down. The roads were destroyed. The homes were destroyed. So he's praying to God, and the scripture uh, allows us to look into his prayer at the moment. And one of the first things you see, how moved he was. Say to your neighbor, he was moved. He was moved. Uh, he, was moved. He, he was in tears. He was, his heart was broken because of this situation. And, but yet, yet, this man was in the palace. He was the king's cupbearer, so his life was pretty decent. You know, he ate well, um, he lived well, he dressed well. But his brothers and sisters were suffering. So he was moved because of that. That's who God works with and that's who God works through. When people can feel somebody else's pain. And what happens in churches, um, many times we go to church, but we have this consumer mentality. What can this church do for me? And that's a terrible way of looking at church. Although it's important, you want to go to a church where your children can grow up in, where you could serve, but you don't want to primarily uh, go to church so that they can serve you. You are part of the church because you've been born again into his kingdom, right? And now as part of that kingdom, now you have the heart of God flowing through you. So something's got to move you. Yes. You've got to be moved by the condition of this world today. You've got to be con uh, moved uh, uh, by the condition uh, of our government, of our inner cities, of our financial situation. You have to be moved. And what I love about a church is we are dealing with many people together. So there are many gifts sitting there. So if we could ever get our act together, we will have education in church. We will have finance in the church. We will have wisdom for families, wisdom for government in church. Because we're a community, and each one of us brings something to the table. 
Now this man, he, he was brokenhearted when he heard about that. First thing he did, he, he got moved into prayer. He got moved into an intercession for somebody else. Now, my question to you is, do you get moved to intercession for somebody else? As you study the book of Acts this morning, you could clearly see these people got set on fire for Jesus. They waited for the promise. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They got out of the church. They didn't stay in having, you know, Holy Ghost parties. Now, I don't mind a Holy Ghost party, but the Holy Ghost party really needs to inflame your heart for somebody else. It needs to move you to get out of the church to start sharing God's love and God's passion with the world. So after that, in Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll read verses 17 through 20. But what happened was, before I read that, is he didn't pray, Oh, Lord, touch them. Oh, Lord, heal them. Oh, Lord, save the city. No, he said, give me strength and grace. You know why? In his head, he realized, I'm only one person, but as one person, I can do something. I can't just see those walls like that and just sit here enjoying my good life and not do something to help somebody else. Now, if truly the Spirit of God is in you, right now you're feeling that. Right now your heart is broken. Right now you're saying, Lord, what can I do to help to make this better? What can I do to, to open somebody's eyes so that they could see your love? Hallelujah. And what this man says, is, I'm going to have to talk to this king. But the problem in those days is that cupbearers had to go before the king with a smile. Dressed well. Smelling well. <laughs> they, if you go the wrong way, you could go to prison. Yes. If the king didn't like you, he says, what is this? What are you bringing before my most majesty presence. Or in some cases, they would even kill the cupbearers. Not to mention the fact that this man had to taste all the food and drink the wine first because he had to test it just in case it was poison because the king couldn't eat the poison. If anybody was going to eat or drink the poison, it was the cupbearer. <laughs> so already this man was in a very, very tenuous situation. But he said, God, give me grace with this man. Why? Because his intent was to go and do something about it. So he went, he went and, and, you know, he wasn't happy. He was sad. So it, it, you know, showed in his face. And sometimes we wear our emotions on our sleeves or on our face. And people look, how are you doing? And they don't see the regular semblance. They see a different semblance. Yes, yes. And this day, the king asked him, asked him, asked him sorry. So what's the matter with you? Said, I'm sorry, king. I have an issue. What's the issue? Well, my country is destroyed. The walls have been burned down. And I'm suffering because of that. My people. And he says, well, what can I do? For the king to actually say that, that was grace. That was the favor of God. Amen. And so Nehemiah says, all right, good. I'm going. And thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. We said, well, uh, can I go and help to rebuild? He said, sure, no problem. Um, can I get some equipment? <laughs> He said, yeah, no problem. Good, good. Can I get some letters of permission to go through? Sure, no problem. Wow. See, when we pray, things happen. Nothing happens until we pray. And so I appreciate how this man dealt with the situation. First, he mourned before God. Number two, he repented before God. Number three, he went into action. True faith has action. Say that to your neighbor. True faith has action. If you're in church and you go, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Ay, bendito. You know, the Spanish folks, ay, bendito. That's nothing. That's not doing anything. That's right. But if you go, ay, bendito, breaks my heart. Let me see what I can do. Yes. Yes. You start making calls. And you, whatever it is, you, you get active. Yes. That's true faith. Amen. And God will work mightily through you. You put one, he puts ten. Amen. 
Because he always amplifies your ministry. God has a, a way of exaggerating who we are. I'm serious. He has a way of exaggerating you. You do one little thing, bam, ten comes out of it. And then people say, wow, you're so awesome. Oh, 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 hold on. No, no, no. That's my God. That's the grace of my God flowing through me right now. I'm just partnering with him. He's the senior partner. I'm the junior partner. That's right. And we give him all the glory. But the bottom line is God wants to partner with us and through us. And again, I tell you every week, but I say it again because somebody might not have heard it. The reason why God would always partner with man on earth is because in the beginning, he told Adam, you're the manager of the earth. You're in charge. Yes, yes. So when God establishes a law... It, it's, it becomes a law here on earth and in heaven. Amen. And God said, you're in charge here on earth. So now everything that man does here on earth, pretty much he's responsible. Yes. When Adam sinned, that's why it was such a big deal, because he was responsible. Yes. So that sin affected the entire human race, so to speak. Amen. Well, God is God. God can do whatever he wants. Well, yeah, but see, what you don't understand about God is when God speaks a thing, he honors the very thing he speaks. Hallelujah. He said man is in charge. Yes. That's why nothing could be done other than God becoming man. Jesus was God-man. And so God on earth, Jesus himself, man, or the last Adam, the Bible calls him, had to make right what Adam made wrong. So that's why when God's going to move on earth, he will always move through a man. When I say man, mankind, it could be a man, it could be a woman. Um, so, so that's why he's waiting to, for you. Hallelujah. That's why sometimes he moves you and you're, I, I, can't, I don't got time. Meanwhile, you're saying, I, I need you now. Yes, right. Remember the partnership. Yes, right. <laughs> you're in charge here on earth, but I have some wisdom you know, for you and I have some resources for you. But the problem with resources, you know what resources are? It could be money, it could be people, yes. power, it could be you know, product. Yes. Product doesn't move until man gets busy. That's right. Hallelujah. Money doesn't move until man gets busy. Exactly. You know, you get an idea, then you create the idea. You know, you, you make a widget. You know, everybody needs a widget. Yes. So when you, you make the widget, then money will move. You, you sell the widget and you get the money. It's, yes. it, there's a transfer. But the first thing is a man getting active. How many of you already changed uh, the I, uh, the, your i5 phone to the i07 program? You already did it? You don't like it? You love it? Okay. Younger generation tends to love it. Uh, Our generation tends to not want to deal with it. Hey, listen, I'm still on i3, iPhone 3. It's still working for me, so don't, you know, I'm I'm happy with it, so. (laughs) But isn't it interesting? They have it pegged. They have all of you pegged. That's why they continue creating, quote, unquote, new stuff. Not the same thing. They change the picture around a little bit and make it a little more flashier, but it's the same thing. But they know that if you, if you think it's new, you're going to... Listen, the Apple store downtown, you see lines and lines of people. And they, yay, we're going to get that. I look at you. You fool, you. Wasting your time. I don't actually say it, but sometimes I think it. But yeah, hey, listen, Apple, Apple is... They, they, are, they are sick billionaires. I mean, just so much money. They have more money than, than cities. It's amazing. Because they know the way, the way things move. Yep. You, you get the idea, then you, you, you activate, you fight that to get into the economy. Thing, yeah. Praise God. So that's what we have to start understanding. Now, Nehemiah, he activated his faith. So he took all of that stuff, and he went in there, he spied out the land, he indeed saw uh, the city destroyed, the walls destroyed, and then this is when we read this. Then he comes back and gives a report to the leaders of that region. 
Nehemiah 2.17. Then I said unto them, you see, notice I got the old, uh, I was, you know, criticizing the old English, but meanwhile I have it here. Then I said unto them, ye see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, also the king's words that had been spoken unto me. And they said, well, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I love it. They heard one visionary, and they were visionaries too, so they said, let's do it. They were all leaders. So when they heard the voice of a leader, they said, you know, you know we got to do this. Let's do this. But immediately as they did that, three guys, when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us, and they said, what is this thing that ye do? Would you rebel against the king? Then I answered them, and I said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. So you can actually see how this man went into town. The, immediately when he activated himself, guess what? Other people were knit to him. So one of the things you're going to find, when you finally realize how important you are, how necessary you are, and you start speaking what God has placed in your heart, and you start doing what God placed in your heart. Some of your very friends that have been hanging out with you are going to leave you. They're going to leave you. Because you, you become incompatible with them. And it's not that they don't like you anymore. It's that just they don't feel compatible with you anymore. But others are going to be knit to you. And these people are going to be more compatible with your philosophy. More compatible with your thought process. More compatible with what you want to do. That's how come I always say, make sure when you get married... Make sure you're compatible. Because yes. just because it's a pretty face or a handsome face, that don't mean you're going to last 40 years. You first have to study that person very, very well. Maybe he's got the perfect face, but his actions won't be compatible with your lifestyle in the coming days. Amen. And um, it, is a, is, it is an established fact. If you marry somebody, say, for example, of a different religion, you marry trans religion, yes. most marriages don't last because once they get to a certain age, the children... I want to raise them this way. I want to raise them. And then comes a lot of tension. And, and so you have to be very careful. So when you're working vision, when you're going marathon, you're going to lose some people that you thought were, would be with you for all your life. But you're going to gain others that are actually strengthening your walk and, and, and strengthen your journey. That's what happened to this man. When he opened up his mouth, when he activated his ministry, yes. immediately he started seeing others that were just like him. Yes. He said, oh, no problem. Let's do this together. But also, here's the other issue. When you activate your ministry, one of the first things you're going to find is the devil coming after you. Yes. And by that I mean you're going to find people that are going to come against you. Opposition. You're going to have opposition. Yes, yeah, a good word. You're going to have opposition. People on, uh, sometimes in your own family. Yep. Yes. I remember when, when I was uh, a doorman. I was 18 years old. I became a doorman. I was very happy. It's the first job I ever had I was of real import. My dad was a doorman. That's all I had seen in my young days. Yes. But four years later, I was going after the boss of the doorman. I wanted to be the boss of the doorman, so to yes. speak, uh, the resident manager. So I went to school for it, and I told my dad. I said, Dad, I'm going to be a resident manager in these fancy buildings downtown. And you know what he told me? I could have said to you, oh, he backed me up and, you know, he encouraged me. No, you know, he told me, son, be careful. You have a great job. 
this doorman job you have is really good. And it was. It's good benefits. It's 32 B Union. It's really, yes, uh, it was in a fancy building. Carl Hausman's building. Now it's Dale Hemmerdinger's building. Uh, he was like chairman of the MTA not so long ago. Um, and this, I mean, millionaires. I'd see Johnny Cash, Liza Minnelli on a regular basis. They knew me by first name. And, and uh, so, you, you, you better not. You, you, you might fail. That's what he told me. Now, understanding this, I said, you know, he's, he's concerned for me. Because, truly, I might fail. When you risk something, when you go beyond your, your, your comfort level, when you go beyond what you have ever seen your family do, you, you might fail. But guess what? Failures are the CEOs. The ones that fail more, they're the most successful, yes. successful ones. That's right. You know, Michael Jordan, he missed more game-winning shots than anybody else in the NBA. But he didn't care. He just kept on throwing them. <laughs> so now he's known not for the ones he missed. He's known for the ones he got in. He just didn't care because he knew failure just meant that the next one he's going to get in. Exactly. You, you understand? Exactly. Babe Ruth, what do you know him as? The sultan of what? Swat. Of strikeouts? No. No. But guess what? He was the sultan of strikeouts. Yes, this man struck out more than most all guys in Major League Baseball. But he's not known for that. He's known as the sultan of SWAT. Why? Because he just, next time he go for another home run. Strike out. Go for another. Strike out. But bam, he would hit the home run. Hey, he's the sultan of SWAT. Meanwhile, we're always playing it careful. Never want to make a mistake. Never want to step on any eggs. Never want to mess up. Somebody might talk about me. So what? Does anybody here criticize Bloomberg? Does he care? <laughs> he just doesn't care. Yeah, my man is a billionaire. You know, uh, the plumbers that worked in his house on Friday, I was with them, and we're talking about him. And he says his house is huge. He's got a nice townhouse, five floors, and they were doing some plumbing, and they're going to have to, uh, you know, close a certain section from his house, right, his mansion. And I said, ay, bendito. <laughs> you know, Spanish for, oh, I'm so sorry. But we're just joking. I says, you know, going, you know what he's going to have to do now? He's going to have to get in his private plane and fly out to Bermuda two hours from now and go to his mansion in Bermuda and stay there the weekend. Everybody, oh. <laughs> they don't care. Because, see, you get to that level of revelation and you understand, yes, I might fail temporarily here, but I'll just adjust, keep on going, adjust, keep on going. And, and that's where Nehemiah was. He said, I don't care what the people think. I don't care what these guys are talking about us. I am going to do what I need to do because, see, my actions are going to have a great benefit in humanity in the coming days. And we understand that, that our actions have impact. I understand that. When I was uh, 18 years old, I got my first job in that beautiful building. You know, it was a man that took a chance on me. I said, sir, I'm 18 years old. Sir, if you hire me, you'll be proud to have me on your workforce. And you know what he told me? I'll never forget. He said, you're too young to be talking like that. You don't know what you're talking about. But God gave me grace. And he says, but I tell you what, a guy just got hurt for three weeks, so you sub for him for three weeks. So that's what he did. I subbed for three weeks. And after three weeks, somebody retired after 30 years of work. After 30 years of work, and it just happened the perfect time. And he gave me the job. So years later, I parlayed that. I went to school. I learned. Um, and, and now I'm a resident manager. And one day I said, you know, I got to go back to this man and thank him. And that's what I did. One day I went to his place. I found out where he was at. And now he's like almost blind. He can't see. 
And so I went up to him, and I saw him, he was in his shop, and he'd go real close to his, just work, because he could hardly see, he was legally blind. And I went to him, Mr. Ramirez. He says, yeah, who's, who's there? He says, my name is Victor Nazario. Victor, how are you? He hadn't seen me for years. He says, sir, uh, I know you're busy, uh, but I don't want to take much of your time. I just want to come back to thank you. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity that you gave me way back when. I've been able to parlay that, and now I've been able to take care of my family, and it's been such a blessing to, to, to be able to do that. And, and to a great extent, I owe gratitude to you for helping me to get started. You know, the man, he, he got tear, teary-eyed, and we talked a bit. He, he, he really appreciated that. He really appreciated that. And I know the power of Thanksgiving. But the beauty about it is that I guess he understood that that 18-year-old, although he didn't know what he was talking about too much, that if you could just mentor him a bit, get him on the right track, then, then he'd be all right. You understand? And that's what we need to do now. One of the greatest tragedies in Scripture uh, happens to be uh, Jezebel's husband. Jezebel's husband was the king, and he had everything, everything. I mean, what does the king not have? So the king goes out to his window, and he sees a little garden patch next to his mansion, right? So he sees it, and it's a small little garden patch, Naboth's garden patch. He said, oh, I want that. That looks so good. There's some nice vines and nice figs and whatever. So he goes up to the guy, or sends his servant, says, listen, the king wants your garden patch. How much you want for it? He said, I can't sell it. It's my father's. It's been my generation for years. So I really can't sell it. It's all we have. So the king got upset because he didn't get his way. So he goes into his room despondent, and Jezebel, the queen, goes up to him and says, My king, what, what's the matter with you? Well, Naboth didn't want to give me his vine, his, his land. So, oh, no problem, I'll take care of it. She went over there, got some guys to accuse him falsely. They took the land from him, they arrested him, killed him, and they took the land and gave it to the king. Now, later on, the judgment of God came upon the king and queen. They lost their earthly lives. They, I mean, they were judged... I mean, God took care of them people. <laughs> but here's my point. My point is, shouldn't have Naboth felt comfortable aside the king, next to the king, next to the castle? Shouldn't that have been like the most safe place? You, you understand my point? Yet, it was a place that killed him. So when we have young people next to us, right next to us, and we have a chance to mentor them, we have a chance to bless them, we have a chance to help them. Shouldn't they feel comfortable? Sometimes we kill the very kids that are next to us. And, and you know, as, as, as they come to our churches in the coming days, they, they have to feel that it's a safe place for them. Hey, you better get your life together. Listen, that's why they're here. They need to get their life together. Why, 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 why knock them upside the head? There's so many things they're dealing with. It's so complicated to be a teenager right now. It's so complicated to be in school right now. There's so many issues dragging them one way and another way. They've got to have a safe place. Uh, when they're closer to you, are they better or are they worse? Amen, amen. That's a sila moment. You go, mm, wow. But yeah, it's, it's, it's our responsibility. Nehemiah understood that. And he says, you know, I'm going to make a difference. So he went in there and he made that difference. Why did the wall have to be rebuilt? Simply because it was a symbol of strength. It was a symbol of health of the city. It was a symbol of its vitality. When the walls were down, that means enemies could come in and destroy. Animals could come in and take whatever they want. 
visible and emotional sign of security to the city. By closing the wall, they sent a message to those who had been destroying the city and stealing and pillaging. It wouldn't be allowed any longer. The roads and the infrastructure were destroyed. The debris was all over the city. Homes and buildings have been destroyed and vacant. But it was also something everybody could be involved in. And involved they did. They got everybody together. All the men, the women got together. The women cooked and the men worked. And the enemies came at them. And, and, and they put, literally, they were built. They had the spackle in one hand and they had the two, and then they had a weapon on the other hand. Because enemies came at them to try to stop them. But that huge wall of Jerusalem was rebuilt in 53 days. Amazing, amazing, and around an entire city, because these people got to work. And what happened? The city was reestablished. There was safety again in the city. But who started it? One man. One man. So point to yourself, could I be that person? Could I be that person? Ezekiel 22, verse 29, it says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor, the needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God was looking for somebody to pray and to stand in the gap and to activate healing, but he found no one. It is therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them, I have consumed them with my fire, the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, said the Lord God. But in this generation, is he finding anybody to stand in the gap? Is he finding anybody that would pray and intercede and, and activate their life for the benefit of others? Nehemiah had three guys that were against him, and they're symbolic of some things. Uh, Sam, uh, Sambalot was symbolic of ridicule, because that's what he did. He, he would constantly mock him, intimidate him. Rumors, lies, assassination of character. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that happens in churches today? Absolutely, because people are people. We, we fail to discipline our lives. And we allow assassination of character many times. Our tongues talking falsely about people. We ridicule people. We mock people. We allow rumors to be formed instead of shutting them down. Do you know gossip cannot exist if you refuse to listen to it? Right. Tobiah was symbolic of the descendants of Lot. The Ammonites, descendants of Lot. And these were people that lacked vision because they went the wrong way. <laughs> and Lot went the wrong way. He went to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. So they lacked discernment. They chose the wrong way. It, lead, it led them to suffering, to harassment and vexation. So that also happens when we fail to seek God, when we fail to listen to our mentors, to listen to true um, wisdom, we'll, we will make the wrong decisions and then we'll pay. Many times we pay with our lives. Amen. Right now, uh, especially with, with our younger generation, and not so much, a lot of uh, the, the, the folks in their 40s and 50s and 60s get involved with this too. Texting while driving. It, it, it's a scary thing. Um, I, we just saw my wife and I a program where this young girl, I think she was 17 years old, and um, she uh, killed somebody, and now she doesn't remember the accident. But she had texted to her boyfriend while she was driving, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to do all of this stuff. You know? And so they have that on record. 
Then after that, she went head on and, and killed a, a mother and her children. But she survived. And now uh, she'll say, but I don't remember. I don't know. And she's crying and she's scared. Of course she's going to be scared. She's a young girl. Yes. And now she's got to do, I don't know, 30-something years of prison. Mm. Yeah, that, it, these, these are things because sometimes they don't listen. Oh, no problem. I could take this drug. I'm, I'll be all right. They end up dead or they end up, unfortunately, addicted. Yes. You take cocaine one time, that's it. Cocaine will mess with your brain. It will, it will fry certain parts of your brain. And you don't get that back. You don't get that back. Oh, it's, it's only marijuana. Sometimes they're gateway drugs. By that I mean one leads to the other leads to the other. I mean, you know, let me tell I'm just, again, advice. Just advice. Stay away from that crowd. Wow, you know, pastor's old. You know, he, you know, he, later on, you realize... You're repeating the same thing that the fathers, that the uncles, that the aunts, and everybody else did. That's right. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you, sometimes you're not going to get good advice from your family either. You know? My dad's in heaven now. He came to Jesus in his latter years. But let me tell you, I remember when I was, I think I was 13 years old. Around 13 years old. I said, Dad, I want to know what being drunk is. He said, all right, no problem. He put the bottle on the table. Boom. Southern comfort. And we started drinking together. Southern comfort. I mean, he couldn't start with, you know, like, yeah, straight. Like a beer or something. You know, let's start with a beer, you know. My man put southern comfort. Hundred proof. (laughs) My dad. So you're talking about fathers, right? This man was setting me up for alcoholism at age 13. See, so sometimes you're not going to get it from your family. You're not going to get the proper advice from your family. So you might be that person, you young person right here, might be the person that might be that, that transitional leader in your family. You might be that Nehemiah that might help to bring deliverance to your family. Hallelujah. Praise God. When, when the Lord saved me at age 15, I had to go back and preach to them. I remember the first time I preached to them. I mean, I tell you, I, I, I'll never forget. I got this video. It was a scary video, talking about the old-fashioned in the 70s. And this video was taught, and it wasn't even a video, it was an audio. And it wasn't even just an audio, it was an LP. But in this LP, yeah, they had a play about the second coming of the Lord. It was scary. For me, it, 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 it freaked me out. I was, oh my God, this is scary stuff. And, and they, they did a play about, oh my God, Jesus came and all this other stuff. So I said, Dad, Mom, sit down, listen. Why? What, sons? Listen. And they, they honored me. They listened. I put it on, the whole thing, and they just sat there. Not an expression, nothing. And I'm there. That's right. They're going to come with me to church with me next Sunday for sure. They're going to be running in the altar, just like I did. After I finished, stopped it, put it back in the sleeve, you know, big sleeve. And I'll go. And both of them started laughing. I said, that's what you wanted me? Ah. And then went, she went back to the kitchen and he went to the room. I went, oh, no, that's wrong. <laughs> that's so wrong. They, they, they didn't get it. It just, it just didn't happen. I thought they were going to get it. They, but I kept on praying for them. Years later, they both came to Jesus. They both made their peace with God. They, you know, praise God. So what I take from that is that God set me free 
and then I was a blessing to my parents. So I, I was able to bless that previous generation. And then my kids were able to hear the gospel too. From their birth, they were able to hear. They would come with us, and they were able to receive you know, this, this, this level of, of revelation. So, so three generations right there. So you might be that person. That you might be that gateway person to bring deliverance to your family, not just to the future generation, but also that generation that's with you, that older generation that's with you. God might be using you. God might be setting you up and to, to, be, to be the blessing, to be the Nehemiah. <coughs> so <coughs> Geshem, the last guy who was intimidating them, was a nomadic king. So that was symbolic of not being firmly rooted or lack of fruitfulness. Now, not for nothing, but many of us aren't rooted on anything. And we like it that way. I don't want to be responsible for anything. So don't bother me. Because if you're not responsible for anything, you don't have to be accountable to anything. But the problem is you're not being fruitful. Because trees cannot bring fruit forth unless they're rooted somewhere. You see, and what, the first thing God will deal with you is when you come to him, he'll say, okay, I want to root you. I want to marry you. I, wanna, I, I want you to become part of my family. So what does God do? God actually, he adopts you as it were. And he makes you part of his family. Because God believes in that. He believes in relationship. Yes. He believes in family. Right. He identified himself as father. Yes. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Pray our father. Father, father denotes what? Family. family. It, dem it also denotes source. The father is the source. It denotes who you are. Yes. You see? So what will end up happening is when you become part of that family, now you get the benefits of the family. Hallelujah. We, we see a program from time to time where... Um, a young lady, a young man, or two sisters, they're looking for their biological mother. They're looking for their biological family. Yes. There was this one young lady who, uh, she was kidnapped as a child. And this lady kept her for many, many years until she died. And when the lady died, she was already, the girl was already, I think, 15 or 16 years old. So as she grew up, she looked for her family. She didn't even know what her name was. And for years, she sought that until finally there was a breakthrough and they were able to find her birth certificate. And when she found her birth certificate, she dug and dug and, 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 and checked out every single department until finally she found her parents. And when she went to meet the parents, the parents shocked her even more because they adopted her. So they, <laughs> it wasn't really, they had her for four years and then a woman came and took the baby, took the child. So she was already adopted. Now this other woman took her illegally for many years. So they had to dig even more and more until one day they were showing the program on TV and the biological mother says, that's my daughter. And she called in and finally the connection was made. But that girl went, went through major issues emotionally, you know, physically. Her life was a mess until she found her source where she really came from, who was a real father, what was a real name. It's an amazing story. It was a, a tearjerker. I mean, it's amazing what she went through. But God doesn't, listen, you've been nomadic. You haven't been, you know, rooted anywhere. Now I'm calling you home. And God will root you. He will not only root you in his family, but he'll also root you in a church, in a local church. Not because, um, you know, we got, hey, you got to go to church. You know, you... You know, holy, you got to go to church. No, 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 no. You have to belong to a family because that's what you are. You're, you're, you're part of a family. And there's somewhere where you have to give your gifts 
So you have to be in a place. No, I don't go to church. I watch TV. I watch the TV evangelist. That, that's nothing. You're not part of anything. You don't have to do anything except turn the TV on. I watch TD Jakes. Well, good. Well, I hope the message gets in you then. And get yourself to a church somewhere. It's not enough to just watch a televangelist. You've got to give something. You're a singer. You're a teacher. You're, you're, you're a pastor, maybe, in the making. You're a prophet. You're something. And that cannot do anything until it's activated. God, uh, Jesus said very clearly, he said, you're the salt of the earth. Did he say it? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Let me ask you a question. How good is the salt in the salt shaker? How good, how tasty is the salt in the salt shaker? Potentially it's good. But it's only good until you do this. Once you do this, then it gets on the food and it starts impacting the food. But as long as it stays in the salt shaker, it's potentially good. But it's not really good. It, it can help, but somebody has got to do this. Now, once it's in there, you stir the food and mm, all right, now, now it's good. And, and I know, I, I could look at all your faces. You love your seasonings. <laughs> I've been into some of your houses. You love your seasonings. The worst thing in the world is, is a chicken without any seasoning at all. That's the most dullest thing in the world. I go, I go. Sometimes, we, sometimes we go to that, those restaurants, or, you, know, these, you know, these regular simple restaurants. And they make rice, and, and the rice is so bland because it doesn't have anything. It says, dude, you, you know, I know rice. That's, <laughs> that's not good rice. Do me a favor, bring me some salt immediately. You know, that's, you know. But the bottom line is that's what God tells us. He says we're salt. So if we're in the church, but yet we're not doing anything, or we're in a house watching TV, you know, televangelists, right? We put on the music, but we don't <laughs> apply ourselves in the community somewhere. Come on, come on. Our salt will never be savored. Our salt will never be tasted. Amen. So some of you are very, 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 very super salty because you've never salted anywhere. I'll tell your neighbor, you're too salty. Let some of that go. <laughs> the Edge Keynote Magazine one time said this, Losers always have an excuse. Winners always have an idea. Losers fix the blame on others. Winners fix the situation. Losers make promises. Winners keep commitments. Losers let it happen. Winners make it happen. Losers say, why don't they do something? Winners say, here's something I can do. So Nehemiah did, and, and I'm going to give you three or four points quickly, and I'm going to shut, shut it down. Number one, he led from where he was at. Yes. He led right where he was at. He didn't wait to get the title. Some people won't do anything until they're recognized. Nehemiah did not wait for any recognition. He just went. Amen. He went. He saw the need. You know what I love about him? He didn't even hear a prophetic word. He didn't have any prophet go over him and say, yeah, the Lord said to you, he's going to use you mightily. 
You're going to be a prophet, priest, and king. You know? You're going to be a mighty man, a mighty woman of God. You're going to sing, and the mountains are going to be moved. You're going to put your hands on the sick, and all of them will heal, and their uncle and, and, and grandmother too. They'll all get healed one shot. You're going to be the greatest preacher. You know, T.D. Jakes is going to call you for classes. That's how good a preacher you're going to be, right? No, he didn't hear any of that. He just went ahead, and he, he said, there's a need. I got to do something. Let me just do something. Lead from where you're at. Someone said, you, have, you, you need to learn how to lead from the second chair. Because right. yes. we think only the boss leads. No, you're leading right from you. You influence right where you're at. Amen. You influence your department. You, you influence in your job. You influence at home. You, you, influence. You, you influence more than what people realize. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, you need That's to learn right. that. Right. Don't wait for somebody to you know, give you an official title. So Usually people hire uh, or give promotions to people on higher levels. Based on your past performance. Yes. That's true. They won't make you a CEO of a company unless you have a huge resume right. of success in other companies. Amen. Right? Amen. So why don't you go ahead and start doing? Track record. The beauty about this is why you're doing, people are watching you. They won't tell you, but they're watching you. Yes. yes. And they're seeing, they're going, hmm, interesting. In your job, oh, I'm not going to do nothing. They're not doing anything. If they're not doing that, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I heard that all the time. I'm a supervisor right now. I hear some of the, you know, the stuff these guys say. Mm. I say guys because all my, my staff are guys. Uh, but some of us says, dude, just do it. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not doing it. I don't care. Do it and I'll suspend you. Don't, you, you don't do it, I'll suspend you and him too. <laughs> you know? But no, when, but when I catch somebody doing something, I go to them, why are you doing it? Well, I figured they need to get done. Says, Good job. Hmm, interesting. And I keep that in my mind. I, says, I like that. That's right. I appreciate That's right. that this man went above and beyond right. and he took care of business. And when I need to uh, promote somebody, who do you think I'm going to promote? Mm -hmm. The guy that's complaining? Hey, I'm not going to do anything. I'm doing him. Get out of here. I want to fire him. <laughs> Serious. I want to fire him. The pastor has no love. I, I do have love, but I want to keep my job as a supervisor. <laughs> and supervisors are only going to put others that are going to make them look more productive. Some people get angry. I'm going to call the union on that guy. Call the union all you want. I have fired at least nine guys, right? And eight guys stayed fired. And they took me to the union. One guy, he sued me all the way to Supreme Court. I'm serious. I've been accused. I've been threatened. Oh, yeah, you better watch your back. My back's all right. There's the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you get to see the lovey-dovey side of me. You work for me for a while. I'm not too bad of a, a supervisor. But if you get on my case, I'll toast you. <laughs> no, listen. I'm sorry, man. Oh, listen, when we finish, I'll go to the altar first and repent. <laughs> no, listen, if you... Work harder, you come in earlier, you, you, you do your job well, and you smile while you're at it, and you enjoy your job, let people feel good about you. Who do you think they're going to prosper? Who do you think that they're going to give a promotion to? And especially now that there's so many more, uh, there's so much more, sorry, competition. There are less full-time jobs, there's a lot more part-time jobs. So those that are going for the full-time jobs are going to have a lot more competition. My God. I don't know if I'm preaching or I'm, I'm giving counsel for somebody to get a job. 
I think, I think it's all interlinked. They realize it's a partnership with God. I love this because I know I'm not doing it on my own. It's, my, it's a partnership with him, but he's the senior partner. They believe that great things are just around the corner. Do you believe that great things are around the corner? I do. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Look at my face. Doesn't this look like excitement? I'm excited about the kingdom of God. I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about all of you. I'm excited about what we're doing together. I'm excited we're going to get into that room. I'm excited once we get to that place, what's going to happen? Excited. I expect great things of Almighty God. I expect huge things, big things. I'm not busy, oh God. I know there's not enough. So can you just give me just, just a little? No. My God has no limits. There are no limitations. Right. So therefore, I can prosper even in a recession. Amen. Right. I can do great things for God even during difficult times. Amen. Amen. Actually, the Bible says where there's more darkness, there's more grace. Yes. So I'm expecting more grace. Yes. Hallelujah. So I'm excited. So tell somebody you're excited. I'm excited. Your neighbor's saying you're lying. You don't look excited. So say it again with a smile. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. People like, people like this, we leverage everything around us. We, we leverage all the tools, um, even technology. I love the, I'm excited about the technology. We have a website. I love that about the website. You could come right on the website. People have come to this church because of our website. We have, we have got responses from all over the world because of our website. The next thing we're doing right now, we're streaming. Are we streaming? No, not today, right? Or not today. But we normally stream our services. When you get to the new places, we already put all the wires in the wall that are going to contain our services live all over the world. Amen. Amen. I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. Because we're going to have, be able to have conferences. And if you can't make it, let's say you're in Florida somewhere, you'll still be able to be a part of the conference. Amen. We're going to do teachings. Plus, then we're going to stream in teachings from all over the world. So that's, that's, I mean, that's I don't know what to do. I'm so excited. <laughs> Praise God. So we leverage. We leverage stuff. So it's time to leverage who you are. Praise God. You're part of a, a, a you know, we're, we're an exciting family here. That's right. So people, some people come in here, they, they see us, they go, man, that's, that's too much action, man. <laughs> I'm used to tone down stuff. Well, it's not a matter of it being toned down or not, but the bottom line is, as humans, when they get excited, I don't care how toned down you are. If it's the bottom of the ninth inning and your team is losing by three runs and suddenly you get the bases loaded and your guy hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth, I don't care how conservative you are, you're going to let out a yelp. Yeah, in the 80s, the Mets did that. I remember, I think it was Mookie Wilson. He got a, a, a single and it went underneath Buckner's, I mean, bottom of the ninth. And I was in a family sitting down, visiting them. We had a small group going. But then we finished a small group. We watched the end of the game. And the very conservative lady that was there, the mother, she, very, she always be serious. How are you, Doña? Gracias a And then when Mookie get, gets on first base and Buckner loses the ball and they win the game. So you see this lady? And she went, hey. <laughs> I never, I went. Perdonia, what's the matter with you? <laughs> so we all have that potential of, yes. of, of emoting. That's yes. not a bad thing. Yes. David danced with all of his might before the Lord. That's right. The wife got upset because he looked zany. He looked out of control. 
But yeah, the Bible says it, it, it pleased God. It pleased God. So we're understanding how important our worship is. So in closing, I'll, I'll preach the rest, I guess, next week. It's too much to preach in one week. It's too much. Were you, were you laughing because I, I said I'm closing? And just, oh, good, finally. You've got to watch out, man. Don't, don't, don't be offending me. Nehemiah. Do we need modern-day Nehemiahs? Yeah, I'll toast, right? I'll toast somebody. We need Nehemiahs today. We need people to see the condition, stop waiting for things to happen, because only losers do that, and make things happen. That's what the winner does. That's what the champion does. We, we need modern-day Nehemiahs to see it and then go and meet the other ones that are ready, ready for action. In, in a local house, I, I know there's a whole group of you here. You're, you're waiting for it to happen. Ready. You're waiting to see that, that, that thing. Well, guess what? Time is here. So let's not wait anymore. You know, I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate your studying. And, and you know, I got this man on lockdown. I have him, I have him doing book reports. You will, that's right. You know why? I have him knit to me. But, you know, I want him to be blessed because he's, I want him to be better because he's hanging out with me. You understand? Know I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I want to give him tools that once he gets them, they belong to him. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> See? And, and as many as I can get, I want to make sure these men grow up to be mighty oaks in the house of God. Amen. Great fathers, great businessmen, great preachers, great teachers. And all you ladies, let me tell you, man, nothing better than a good father at home. Right? I mean, you, you, your fathers, for the most part, they, they, they affirm your beauty. They affirm your, your uniqueness, your preciousness. When you lack that, then, you know, all, all these young kids, ah, mom, I love you. Let me show you how much I love you. They don't love you. They just want a momentary pleasure. Yeah. That's right. When, you know, the daughters have got a good father home that affirmed that beauty, they'll say, we know, dad already told us. Hallelujah. So I don't need this momentary stuff. You love me? You really, mom? Where's the ring? Hey. Where's the ring? Praise God. Yeah, that's right. You, want, you really want this stuff? Give me some commitment. That's right. You, you watch. You watch those go. They, they'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the guys know. If, if, if a lady, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. If a lady's too easy, this is what we say among ourselves. I'm just going to give you a little. That's not the ones they marry. They marry the ones that are very difficult to catch. Come on now. Preach. That's right. That's right. Amen. So don't be easy. Be hard. <laughs> I'm saying be hard. Just because I have a pretty face. Listen, man, in 15 years, they're going to be like this. Half of their hair is going to be gone from their head. Missing two or three teeth. Snaggle two. Mom, I love you. I love you. Know, come on. You know, that's beauty is fleeting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> You're, not right. You're not right. I'm not right? No. I'm being realistic here. <laughs> I'm being realistic here. That what you see, the six-pack, becomes a no-pack. <laughs> or, or bubble wrap, you know? Yeah. So don't, 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 get, don't get too amazed. Be amazed at a man that's willing to wait, a man that's studying, preparing himself, loves the Lord, loves God's presence. That's the ones you get amazed at. That's like, okay, that's a man that's going to take care of my children. That's a man that's going to help to walk with me in. Thank you.